I'm just so appreciative of this center and especially with the fact that it's one of the very few um, insight centers that runs entirely on Donna and volunteers. And um, that's a, something to really be proud of. Uh, so the title of my talk this morning is uh, a redundancy, feeling feelings. I started uh, thinking of that old uh, schlocky pop song as I was writing down this morning, feelings. Nothing. And then I started imagining it as a punk song. You know, feelings, nothing more than feelings. That'd be, so I'm going to have to work on that this week. And I am a musician, so uh, a lot of my mental activity winds up being musical in one way or another. When we come to this practice, uh, a lot of times the initial teachings we get about meditation uh, have a lot to do with thought. And um, one of the classic teachings in, in Vipassana is called noting, where we note, especially note thoughts and sometimes noting the nature of the thought, whether it's judging or planning or wanting or aversion. Uh, and so it can sometimes seem that that's what our practice is about, just about kind of watching thought. And, and people often get into something of a struggle, too, about it seems like I just keep thinking and thinking all the time. And I, even when I note thoughts, they, they come right back. Uh, I think it becomes uh, almost intellectual practice in that way. It, it can start to seem as though what we're doing is just exploring uh, the landscape of mind. And, and, of course, noticing thought is a tremendously valuable form of practice, but it's, uh, it's not the whole of practice. What I've found in my own practice is that very often what's fueling thoughts is feelings. And often when I give meditation instructions, one of the first things I do is say, even just as you're beginning to sit in a particular sitting, check in with what your mood is. A lot of times we kind of uh, think that when we come to sit down for a period of meditation, that it's kind of uh, outside of the rest of my life. Like it doesn't matter what's been going on today. I'm just going to sit down and meditate and, and that will be distinct from the rest of my life. But the fact is that when we sit down to practice, all of the accumulated energy of that day and indeed of this life and perhaps of many lives uh, is, is there. And so it's very helpful to kind of notice, am I in an anxious mood or a happy mood or a sad mood when I sit, when I begin to sit, because that's going to have a tremendous influence over what arises over the thought patterns and the moods that happen. The, so that's kind of a, a, what I consider kind of a foundation for beginning a sitting period, rather than just immediately going to the breath and kind of trying to get concentrated, but to kind of see, well, where, where am I right now? Is it even realistic to be concentrated? Is it even realistic to be uh, focused on on the breath of thoughts. I want to actually read a piece from my book. I, I um, For a long time, I, I didn't read from this. this is, my book's been out for about three years, and kind of 
somehow thought that, you know, I guess I was, maybe I was bored with it. I'm, I'm rediscovering. It doesn't seem quite like mine anymore, which is kind of pleasant. So the, my book is about integrating Buddhist practice with um, recovery from addiction. But um, since there is sort of a fundamental human addiction, which we could call the addiction to I or the addiction to thought or the addiction to just um, the kind of stream of existence. Um, I don't think it's, uh, I think a lot of these teachings are relevant for all of us. Um, so this this piece that I'm going to read is from step six and step six come it's there is this kind of uh, theistic language which of course is a lot of what I'm trying to work through in my teaching and my writing on this topic but I'll, so I'll, but I'll just tell you that step six says we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character which is really about how do we get ready to let go God we can put God aside and even the term defects of character is kind of off-putting but just to think about how is it that we let go, which is always, for me, one of the prime questions in practice. You know, we say, okay, notice the thought and then let go. Well, what does that exactly mean? I, I don't, there's no thought in my hand. There's, I can't see it. I can't just kind of you know, go, okay, I let it go. There it goes. I mean, we're talking, it's a metaphor, this, this statement, um, let go. And so um, exploring how that happens is an important part of our practice. So uh, this is um, kind of a, 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 some, a, lot, a lot of my book has kind of memoirish material that I use as jumping off points. So uh, this goes back to the fall of 1981 when I was on a three-month retreat in Barry, Massachusetts with Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield et al. It's about two weeks into the retreat when I approached Joseph Goldstein after the morning instruction period. After breakfast, he guides us in our practice, helping us to navigate through the complex terrain that continues to open up over the days and weeks of silent meditation. I step onto the dais where he is gathering his notes to leave the meditation hall. Joseph, I say, speaking softly so as not to disturb the other 90 or so meditators who are moving about preparing for a period of walking meditation. He looks up. I'm settling in okay. I mean, everything's going fine, but there's kind of a dullness. He looks at me with his dark eyes seeming to penetrate my psyche. Don't be afraid to feel, he says. What? Afraid to feel? This is the strangest thing I've ever heard from a meditation teacher. I've always prided myself in feeling tons of stuff. I'm a feeler above all. I've made a career out of feeling depressed. The sensitive songs I've written show how much I feel. Feelings have always been my problem. Feeling too much. I walk away befuddled. It's early October, Indian summer in New England. I get a light jacket and go outside to do walking meditation. In front of the meditation, in front of the retreat center, a large lawn stretches out and I find a patch where no one else is walking and begin to move slowly across the grass, walking a dozen or so steps, turning around and walking back again. Again and again for 45 minutes I pace along with the other students. My mind is supposed to be on my feet and the sensation of movement as I walk. But instead, I'm mulling Joseph's comment. Am I afraid to feel? 
How can he say that based on my one little question? Is that just some stock response or am I that easy to see through? Okay, I think. If I'm afraid to feel, let's see if I can feel. I stop walking. The sun coming over the trees touches my neck. I feel that and the cool breeze coming up from the woods across the road. But what am I feeling emotionally? I feel uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe nervous. I've been mostly silent for two weeks, some teacher interviews and a few words in the kitchen. And speaking at all, as I have with Joseph, disturbs my tranquility. I feel agitated, confused. Yeah, that's how I feel. Two weeks later, I'm in an interview with Jack Cornfield, Joseph's teaching partner. We're in his room on the second floor of the center. It's in the front of the building, looking out over the lawn and the woods. The leaves are turning brilliant colors in the autumn light. The room is spare, the hardwood floors of wide boards, worn from age. We sit in chairs facing each other. Jack is a thin man, much smaller than Joseph, with dark levantine looks and a mustache. When I do the noting, it just turns into more judging, I say. One of the practices they teach is called noting, where you label each thought sensation, experience that happens to you in a continual stream, like in-breath, out-breath, thinking, thinking, in-breath, sensation, hearing, in-breath, out-breath, and on and on. I can't seem to get it. Your practice is to feel, Jack says in his smooth, comforting voice. What? Has he been talking to Joseph about me? (laughs) I know he hasn't because there are just too many students and the teachers don't necessarily see the same students but he seems to be saying the same thing. How do I do that, I ask. Okay, says Jack, close your eyes. Now, notice the sensations in the middle of your chest. Can you feel that? I think so. Good. That's where many emotions appear, but they may show up other places. Just keep paying attention to where in your body you can feel your feelings. Okay. Now I think I'm getting the idea. As the retreat goes on, I make this my central practice, sometimes taking deep breath as I feel strong emotions in my chest, my arms, my stomach. The noting practice falls away and I begin to enter a new phase of practice where I'm not paying attention to breath or thoughts, just resting in an open awareness which feels warm, protected, comfortable. Feeling my feelings turns out to be an easier, more natural practice for me than noting thoughts or watching my breath as the three-month retreat it goes on, the sense of solidity of being able to sit through storms and earthquakes of thoughts and feelings grows. By the end of the retreat, I feel as if I can sit like a mountain through anything my mind presents. So that was my first kind of revelation about practicing in this way, and about um, really sensing uh, what I felt. My idea as I allude to in there, my idea of um, feelings was uh, something that I would talk about. You know, I'd been in therapy, so you'd talk about your feelings. Um, it was something I would judge a lot um, and something I would see as kind of uh, unmovable or untouchable. Things that I had to... Um, I had to act on. As an alcoholic, of course, I probably have more uh, compulsive behavior than some others. Um, you know, as a as a teenager, I, which is when I first started to experience depression, I 
it was totally crippling for me. It wasn't until later on that I realized that having the feeling of depression that said, I can't do anything, didn't actually mean that I couldn't do anything. Uh, that it was just a feeling. Now, emotions are so uh, hard to even define, much less touch or know what they are. You know, what is an emotion? They're so strange. They come through, we say, I feel this. But where exactly are we feeling it? What are we feeling exactly? Um, my first Meditation teacher said that uh, emotions were a combination of a, a mental and a physical experience. And I think that's, you know, getting close, maybe. I mean, that's sort of a description. So, uh, this practice, you know, I describe a little bit how, how to work with it, but um, I recently discovered a beautiful piece on this from Ajahn Amaro. And this is a book, Silent Rain, which is a free book from the uh, Abhayagiri Monastery. And it, and it just happened that he suggested I read a section of this about some, for a completely other reason. And it's the very last section of his book, Silent Rain. And I realized, hmm, I wonder if I ever actually read this before. I had this book for about ten years, and but sometimes you don't get quite to the last page of a Dharma book. But here he describes this in another way and talks about this in a way that I find really helpful, particularly in understanding the purpose of, of this kind of practice. Um, now he's talking about um, just how practice works and mindfulness. Um, he says there are many practical applications of this, talking about the practice. One of the most helpful is when dealing with different emotional states, feelings of intense pleasure or pain, restlessness, grief, hope or regret, anger or jealousy, feelings of warmth and comfort, affirmations and delight, Whatever the emotion might be, every emotion has a physical attribute to it. When you try to understand the emotions intellectually, or we try to unravel their causes analytically, just using our brain, we are looking in the wrong place. For an Asian person, when you talk about the mind, you point to your heart, not to your head. So we approach the understanding of emotional states not so much through the intellect as through the realm of feeling. When we notice we are in a particular mood of anxiety or excitement, energy, laziness, restlessness, or nameless dukkha, our old friend, where we know we are suffering but can't quite figure out what it is we're suffering about, that feeling, rather than trying to analyze the emotion, we just bring it into our attention in the body. We use body consciousness as a way of bringing mindfulness to that feeling. What does anger feel like? What does resentment feel like? Know it directly and feel it in the body. In many ways, this bypasses the processes of entanglement that we create. Because when we bring our attention into physical feelings, we can't buy into them in the same way. We feel the imbalance that attachment to the emotional state causes. 
This is a tremendously useful way of training the mind to de-emphasize the intellectualizing process, the attempt to solve our problems just by thinking about them. Anybody ever tried that? Often, even if we have solved the problem in our brain, if we were worried about something and with logic have removed the source of the worry, the body can still be filled with tension and anxiety. It is charged up to worry about something. So we just finish one worry, but since the body is all set to keep going, it causes the brain to cook up another one. Does that sound at all familiar to anyone? It's a really key piece here. It finds something else to worry about. Since the body is tense and agitated, it can cause the merest thought to turn into a major problem. Well, this is, to me, real, something I notice so much in my, in my daily life. How there are these moments, these little gaps, where there isn't a thought, but I can feel how my mind is trying to find something to latch onto, because there's this energy in my body that wants to think or that feels that I should think. If we bring attention to the body and contemplate what is worry like, where does it sit in the body? We can feel it like a knot of tension in the solar plexus or in our gut. Every time you find your mind worrying about something, bring your attention down to your stomach, your solar plexus, and notice how it feels. Then just let it relax. Take your attention off the thing you are worrying about. Let your stomach soften and notice the effect it has upon the mind. It is a mysterious and magical thing, but suddenly it seems to be much less of a problem. The situation might still be there, but we are not so upset about it. We see it more clearly. This process opens us up to that spaciousness, which is beyond feeling. And I would say... Not just pay attention. I think a lot of what goes on is here. But it's interesting to notice times, sometimes I feel anxiety come up my back, over my shoulders. It comes, it's like something climbing on me. Or the arms get tingly. Or energy starts to come up from the groin, you know, this powerful kind of uh, chi rising through the body. So being aware of this tremendous practice for, really, to, just for feeling. What am I feeling? And a lot of times I don't think you need to put a word on that. There isn't the need to sort of identify it. But just, oh, this whoosh. And you can kind of sit there sometimes and, and kind of ride the wave of your feelings. And if you stay there, then the mind doesn't get so caught up. So very often if I am in a meditation period, or any time, but especially during meditation, and I find I just am on this cycle of thinking, I just go, whoa, let me just drop down, what's going on here? And I just feel it. And sometimes it's clear, I can say, oh, I'm anxious because of this, or that, or I'm sad because of this thing. Sometimes that there isn't some answer for why the feeling is there. I mean, that's one of our with our big attachments, is trying to figure it out. Why do I feel this? But that's really irrelevant to this process. The process to be, what is happening? I'm having this feeling. So, there's this effect and and, uh, really usefulness of this practice to just help us to let go. 
as I was saying, this is one of the ways that we let go. It also opens us into concentrate. Well, it opens us into insight. The, the, I would say that, first of all, seeing that and being present with that helps us to develop calm and concentration because it undermines the thinking process. But then, as this practice works, that awareness and that calm allows us to open into insight. And classically, the three insights that all practice lead to are the dukkha, anicca, anatta, suffering, impermanence, and not self. I want to talk a little bit about how connecting with feelings can open us into these insights. And really, the value of it. So, one of the first things we notice when we start to be present with our feelings is the discomfort there. And that's one of the reasons why we stay up here or we stay out there. Because checking in with our feelings, very often there is some discomfort there. Some agitation, some anxiety, sadness. This is, though, what the Buddha said we were supposed to do. The first noble truth is the truth of suffering. And the Buddha said what we were supposed to do about that truth is understand it. When we see suffering, that's what is the inspiration to practice. This is why the Buddha taught this. Because when we see that life is unsatisfactory, we want to seek after something more vital, more real, more uh, freeing than the common way of engaging life, of just getting what we want or chasing after what we want all the time. So we touch in with that and we see that where that there's suffering happening and that's an inspiration then to practice. It's also it opens us to how our suffering is arising. We see the cause of suffering. We see how we're clinging to these feelings. The so uh, as we watch that then we see how this process happens and we see how feelings trigger thoughts and then we'll notice how thoughts trigger feelings this is the seeing the mind-body connection which is one of the insights in the progress of insight seeing that also opens us to see that emotions arise out of causes they they arise and they disappear they aren't solid things. They aren't uh, things that are inevitable. We can see that, oh, this thought or this feeling arose after I had that thought. And we can start to see that although we can't control feelings arising necessarily, we can start to interrupt what it is that keeps triggering feelings. So we, as we bring awareness to something, the potential for a, pro, the, for a solution is, is apparent. Until we see the pain clearly, there's no way to 
come to grips with it. But once we start to see the process, we start to see, oh, I keep getting anxious about this. And that's because of this. And we start to see unravel the causes of karma. This is seeing how karma arises. So the way that we change that is by starting with, with this attention and then starting to work through that whole process. The next thing that we see, the next insight, the next classic insight is the insight of impermanence. You notice a feeling. And if you pay attention to it, if you really keep your mind on it very clearly, you'll see that it gradually fades. Or if you're watching, just watching this part of your body, you'll watch the arising of an emotion. A thought appears, oh, and the feeling appears. You see, oh, this is a process. Again, for me, uh, one of the really helpful things in dealing with depression was one of, one, one of my teachers said, notice when you're not depressed. Because for me, I would always say, I am depressed, which was this kind of solid, permanent thing. And he said, just as, the, as you go through a day, notice those moments when you're feeling good. Because my tendency was to notice the times when I'm feeling bad, which in some ways I think is an, a survival instinct. You know, the, the, the survival mind looks out for all the trouble. That's why we notice all the bad things, right? Because those are the things that are risks to our survival in, in you know, kind of classic terms. So it's, it's natural for the mind to kind of put aside things that are pleasant. Okay, that's fine, but I don't need to notice that because that's not a threat. So it's kind of a retraining of the mind to somewhat notice the positive things, notice the pleasant moments, and start to see that what I call depression is actually, it's, it's, I'm not down in this depression. You know, that word kind of implies this sort of being down in something. I'm, there's actually, it's this. It's much more up and down. There's moments of sadness, moments of happiness. So this then changes our relationship to the emotion. When you have the the idea that an emotion belongs to you and that it's solid and it's always there, that tends to reinforce the arising of the emotion. When you have the idea that it's coming and going and you're noticing when it's there and you're noticing when it's not there, that undermines the power of that emotion. The other aspect of anatta or impermanence is that moment to moment arising and passing, but, but the, not the arising and passing, but the, the dynamic quality of it, the energetic quality. So again, there's a tendency, and people do this a lot with physical sensations, unpleasant physical sensations. It hurt, there's pain, or, you know, I feel this, I'm feeling mad. Okay, but when you bring your attention into that feeling, what do you feel? Well, it's this very, it's not something solid that you can hold on to. It's something that's moving. It's kind of, if you try to feel in the body where you feel an emotion, what happens is you kind of go there and you, you sense something, but it's very hard to actually lock into 
there it is. That's it. Because it's not solid. It's not this chunk of something in you. And, and I think that this is one, another thing that kind of points to the difficulty in defining emotion. Um, some people t- talk about the emotional body. I, and when I hear that, I, in one sense, I kind of go, well, what is that? That sounds a little bit like uh, too metaphysical for me. Uh, I tend to be very kind of practically oriented. On the other hand, when I feel an emotion, there is sometimes a sense in which it's not, it's sort of in this other layer of being that exists, that perhaps exists in some sort of aura way or something. Um, The point being, just try to find where you're feeling. Where is it? Just keep looking at that. So the third of the classical insights is the insight into corelessness or not self or no self. And here we try to see where is the truth of this of this emotion? What how can we we give it a name? You know, we call something happiness, sadness. But what is that naming? You know, it's really it's it's an attempt to put some kind of a container around something that has no real substance. We tend to identify tremendously with feelings. I am sad. You know, that's an equal sign in there. I equal sad. I am angry. I equal sad. That's what I am. The Buddha was really vehement on this point. <laughs> That you are not your thoughts and feelings. You do not own them. They are not you. So, seeing this, if we really look clearly, we see this. We see the truth of this. Because when a happy emotion arises and you think, oh, I feel so good. You you think, well, I'd like to keep this. I'd like to stay happy. Right? Naturally. But you can't. You can't hold on to that feeling because it's not yours. You don't own it. It's just something that's arising and passing through your mind, through your mind and body, through your heart. This, again, frees us from linking an emotion to I. Well, how can I say this is mine? In the classic story of the student coming to the Zen master saying, you know, I... I have this problem with anger. I'm, just, I, you know, I'm so angry. And the Zen master says, "Well, you don't seem angry right now." Well, I'm not angry right now. Well, where is your anger right now? Well, where is it? It's nowhere. It doesn't exist in that way as something that you own, that you carry around, or, or it follows you around. And you know, oh, I think I'll just open up the box and pull out my anger now. No, it's it's not that. We see that. This is that what's happening here is a process that things arise, things pass, but there isn't a me that's attached to that process. I want to read one more piece that relates to this. Um, In this chapter, my my step six, um, I wrote 
a section called Feeling Feelings. And then as I was writing, this book was kind of an organic process. I got, got a little further into the chapter and I realized, oh, there's something else I want to say about feelings. So I called the next section Feeling Feelings 2. And then at the end of the chapter, I realized, oh, there's something else I want to say about feelings. So this is Feeling Feelings 3. This is from April 1996, Yucca Valley, California. If you've been there, you know what I was doing there. Uh, uh, this is the, the uh, Yucca Valley retreat that happens every spring with Jack Cornfield et al. I wake up at 4 a.m. on the third day of the retreat. I have the job of morning bell ringer, so I need to be up before everyone else, but I'm not due to begin ringing for an hour. That feeling is there. I felt it before on retreats, and I don't like it. Whenever I'm up at this hour on retreat, I think I should start meditating, but something's telling me to stay in bed. If I start practicing at 4 a.m., I'll be so hungry in a couple hours that I'll be miserable. Besides, I probably need more sleep. If I get up now, I'll wind up dragging through the whole day. I roll over and decide to wait for the alarm. On day four, I wake up early again. Same feelings. Yuck. It occurs to me that I should examine this feeling, use the mindfulness technique. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here on retreat for, after all. I move slowly, pulling my legs out from the covers and placing them on the cool floor. I try to keep my attention on the feeling I'm having as I begin to get dressed. The oddly shaped room, it's actually a sharply pointed triangle, is part of Frank Lloyd Wright's design for this center, a compound built by a California Christian sect that believes in the power of pyramids. Many of the buildings use the three-angled motif. The door to the bathroom is wedged into the corner. As I stay with the thoughts and feelings, it hits me that what I'm feeling is fear. How obvious. I wonder how I could have missed this. Fear of hunger, fear of sleepiness. Okay, I got it. I stay with the feeling as I shower and dress. Before long, it's dissipated, and I've moved into a more comfortable place. The next morning, I again awake early. Again, the feeling of fear. I connect with the feeling. It's there in my solar plexus. As I pay closer attention, I see that there's a fluttering in my chest, as though a butterfly were trying to escape my heart. This fluttering seems to be the core of the fear. Again, I shower and dress, and the fluttering fades. I stand in the middle of my little room and contemplate what I've just felt and done. A flutter, a mood, emotions, thoughts, rolling over and going back to sleep. Did all of this arise simply from this flutter? Are my thoughts, emotions, and actions all triggered by a tiny sensation in my chest? I've learned the habit of examining my emotions through the body. In this way, I've been able to maintain my balance around fear, sadness, anger. But when I identify these emotions, I also make them real. A story gets built around them. I'm feeling this because I need to do such and such about this feeling. There are times when this can be helpful, but other times when the examination of emotions can become another form of obsession always keeping tabs on what I'm feeling, always having a problem that needs to be solved. My life becomes this emotional drama. Feeling the flutter in my chest opened me to another view. Sometimes a feeling is just a feeling. It doesn't really mean anything. 
If I can stop at the visceral level without labeling or analyzing, the feeling can just be there. There's no need to do anything about it, to solve it or to cure it. In Buddhism, this is the recognition of not-self. The feelings are not me, and they have no intrinsic meaning. They are simply feelings. It's only my thought processes and emotional states that create the idea that these feelings are who I am. So I think we need to go through this whole process. You know, sometimes in the spiritual path, we try to kind of skip over something. And indeed, in my early practice, which was before I got sober, and there was a lot of delusion still, uh, not that there isn't still, so good deal. I wouldn't want to be making any false claims. But uh, my pr- practice and my motivation was quite, quite a bit diluted early on. You know, I thought that I could come to practice and just jump to enlightenment, you know, go on a long retreat and be free. And what I thought that meant was even more diluted, believe me. But um, but I think what Jack and Joseph were trying to bring me back to is start where you are, that you have to go through this process. Um, and indeed, it's not as though we go through the process and then we're done. Just like with the 12 steps, this is the same thing. We keep coming back and wherever we are is what we need to explore. There are times when we can really let go of feelings and we can really see the emptiness of them as I had that moment on that retreat. But that doesn't mean it's the last time I'm going to identify with feelings. So this practice, I think we really need to see the whole breadth and depth of it and to engage with wherever we are, to, to understand that it's not just noticing your thoughts or noticing your breath. And it's not just letting go of self. It's not just enlightenment, whatever that is. That we really need to engage the body, engage the heart, be present with all of that. When, that isn't, when there isn't clinging there, then opening into the deeper insights, allowing that to happen. But if there's where the, when there's clinging, the deeper insights aren't really going to reveal much. They aren't going to have any authentic effect on us. So I really encourage you to engage this practice. And if you haven't done some work around feeling, to perhaps take this on for a while um, as a practice, to, rather than the breath, to just start to see what it's like to Ask yourself as you're sitting, what am I feeling right now? And just relax the belly, just as Ajahnamaru says. Let out a deep breath. What am I feeling right now? And be present with that. So, I offer you these thoughts for your consideration. May they be of some benefit. Thank you. So let's just take a moment to sit and dedicate merit. As we come to know our own hearts and explore our own feelings, we see that they are not unique to us, that they are universal. And in that way, our heart opens to the suffering of all beings. 
So we dedicate the merit of our practice today to the freedom of suffering for all beings. 